murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. Welcome back to True Law Stories. Ian Garlic here, and uh, today we're going to talk with a very successful litigation attorney out of Chicago, Adrian Mendoza. Um, we're talking to him about a few different cases of people lying on the state line and getting caught in the courtroom under or oath. Uh, very interesting stuff, but before we get started, don't forget this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. The best way to promote your business or your law firm is through your case stories. Uh, learn how to collect those, craft those videos, and how to do it all with the easy button going to VideoCaseStory.com. Mr. Mendoza, thank you so much for being on the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. And uh, Adrian, so before we get started, we talk about all these people getting caught lying under oath. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you do. You're a litigation attorney. What what does that mean? What kind of stuff do you litigate? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I am a litigation attorney, uh, trial lawyer, which means I handle uh, disputes that end up in the courthouse on the civil and commercial side. So that's, you know, breach of contract claims, fraud claims, uh, catastrophic injury defense, uh, you know, partnership fights, probate fights, people fighting over money that they thought, you know, Uncle Sam was going to leave them and didn't leave them anything. Uh, and they're not happy. So anything that ends up in the courthouse other than, uh, than criminal work, we handle. And yeah, and you know, I think uh, most people don't realize everything doesn't end up in the courthouse these days, does it? No, no, not at all. You know, some of the best things that we can do for our clients when they're faced with a dispute uh, is to try and get a resolve before it ends up in the courthouse. And, um, you know, how, tell me a little bit about your litigation background. So your, your law firm, uh, tell us a little bit about your law firm and how you came to get into litigation. Right. So I started practicing in the mid nineties. Um, and I worked at a, a large, uh, uh, firm, but at the time it was considered large, it was about a hundred lawyers. Now it'd probably be considered midsize. Um, but, uh, I learned that I enjoyed the litigation process. I liked trying cases. And uh, so that's where I focus my efforts. Uh, and then uh, right now, the firm I'm, I'm with, I'm a shareholder here with Lilling and Thorsness. And uh, I've been here almost 16 years. I hope to finish my career here. Uh, it's a 45-year-old 40, firm, uh, does very good work, and, and has a great reputation uh, throughout the legal system. Awesome. And, uh, you know, you mentioned a whole broad range of cases. In general, is there a specific uh, client that you work with now? Uh, there are. I have uh, a number of, of repeat clients in, in some kind of niche industries. Uh, I do a lot of trade show and convention related litigation, actually. Hmm. Um, so wherever there's a convention hall, uh, you know, I might you might find me there. I handle the uh, eastern half of the United States for this client. And they've got other council handles the western half. Interesting. Yeah. And then, I mean, so it, this must have been some interesting times for you over the past two years, huh? <laughs> it has been very, uh, very interesting. Um, like everyone else, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. Uh, courts shut down. Uh, there wasn't much happening there. There weren't any depositions happening. Um, 
traditionally we're, we're very face-to-face -face in what we do. So everybody had to adapt pretty quickly uh, and, and learn how to do things uh, remotely and, and online. And uh, so we did that, and um, the courts started to rebound, some faster than others. But uh, I think some of, the, uh, some of the changes that occurred are probably going to be permanent. Mm -hmm. I think the judges find it to be more efficient. It's certainly more efficient for us. You know, there's no point in running down, you know, to the courthouse for a three-minute, you know, status conference when you can you know, do it from your desk. And, uh, and that benefits the clients, ultimately, because you're not wasting their dollars, you know, running back and forth. So I, I think we're going to see some of these changes stick around permanently. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely some, there were some inefficiencies, <laughs> to say the least, yeah. especially getting into big states or trying to find parking in Chicago, I guess, would be Absolutely. It. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I don't know how much you can talk about it, but it, what interests me is that you're doing trade show litigation. I'm, I'm sure all sorts of weird stuff has happened over the past, you know, 18 months with trade shows and conventions and what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, that, that industry was, was one of the first to have to shut down and one of the first to, or one of the last to come back. Um, you know, you couldn't have, nobody anticipated getting large groups of people together again until we kind of had a, a handle on what was going on. So, um, yeah, the trade show industry was, was very much affected and, um, it, you know, there's a ripple effect to that because mm -hmm. those, those shows stain and support a lot of different jobs on a lot of employees who, who work at these trade shows both before, during, and after. So it was a big impact, but they are coming back. Yeah, they are coming back. And, you know, it's, I've heard from some of my clients because one of my clients that was the first, I didn't know any of this stuff was going to happen. Like, I, I just have seen on the news, and he's like, everything's starting to shut down. I'm like, what? And they were in the major in the trade show industry. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I, and they're like, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I definitely didn't think it'd be two years later, but no. <laughs> I don't think anymore, you know, close to two years. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about today and we'll, we'll put a link to your law firm in there. If anyone has any questions, you know, definitely check them out, especially, you know, they're based in Chicago, but today we're going to talk a little bit about lying and people lying on the stand, getting caught lying. Um, you know, I guess it's, it's one of those things that you kind of assume people do, but how, you know, how often are, is, are you just always assuming that someone's lying under oath that's on the other side or tell me about that? No, I don't think so. I think generally for the most part, um, people will honor the oath and, and tell the truth, particularly, you know, disinterested third parties who get subpoenaed to be witnesses. If they have no skin in the game. Hopefully they have no motivation to lie, um, but even sometimes those those individuals uh, will lie under oath. And when it's happening, you, you kind of consent it's happening, um, and, and that's what the jury's for because they're going to weigh credibility, right? So you know, if someone wants to lie and tell a fantastical story, hopefully the jury will pick up on that and not believe them. Um, it's it's rare that you actually catch somebody in the lie, though. Yeah. You know, I think we've got a few of these stories, but how do you, I mean, what do you look for when you think someone's lying? Uh, you know, it depends. Um, it, it could just be something that they say in passing and you, re you realize that doesn't make sense with what you said before or in a different context. You know, so that, that's something that you can, you know, work around and see how does that fit uh, the narrative that they've been telling you otherwise. 
Um, sometimes it's just dumb luck. And, and we had a situation uh, where we went to New Orleans to take some depositions of some witnesses. This actually was a trade show uh, that took place in New Orleans. And we had subpoenaed third-party witnesses who were co-workers of the plaintiff. And so there were other, other attorneys with me. And after one day of depositions, we decided to go out to dinner. <clears throat> I said, well, let's go to dinner. We'll go to Bourbon Street. And we did that. And uh, we were walking down Bourbon Street, and I looked over my shoulder, and I happened to see the plaintiff with his lawyer. They were doing the same thing. We were walking down Bourbon Street, but they had a third guy with them. And I didn't recognize him. And I said to the other lawyers, I'm like, I wonder if that's our witness for tomorrow morning. So the next day, we got there to the uh, conference room early. We're sitting there, and the door opens up. And in come the three individuals, plaintiff, the plaintiff's lawyer, and this other gentleman who was walking with them the night before down Bourbon Street. So we sat down, did the pleasantries, <clears throat> got them under oath, started doing some background. And I said, I, I saw that you came in with the plaintiff and his lawyer today. And he said, yeah, I, I met them for coffee beforehand down the street. I said, oh, okay. I said, you know, before meeting him for coffee, when was the last time you saw him? And he says, oh, I haven't seen this guy in two or three years. <laughs> So now the other lawyers are starting to chuckle because they know this isn't true and where I'm going. And I grab a pad of paper and I start flipping through it like I had a report or something. And I said, sir, isn't it true last night around 745, you were walking down Bourbon Street outside such and such restaurant with the plaintiff and his lawyer. And, and his face just kind of collapsed. And he goes, yes. And I said, well, you just lied to me under oath, didn't you? Yes. Um, and so I had him. I mean, he, he admitted right there under oath that he had lied. And it was, it was over something so meaningless and silly. Uh, but he destroyed his credibility. Nothing he had to say after that, <clears throat> as far as I was concerned, would carry any weight uh, because he admitted he lied under oath. So, um, you know, like I said, sometimes it's just dumb luck. You look <laughs> one way instead of the other. Yeah. And so... That was during the deposition. Did this go to trial? That one did not go to trial. Okay. Um, but I, I did have someone lie on the stand at trial, or actually admitted to lying, um, but not in the courtroom. And it was it was a, a breach of contract case. We we're trying it, and got this lady up. She worked for the plaintiff company, and she said that she had been doing some background investigation on one of the parties, and called his current employer and she pretended to be a, a bank loan officer needing to verify information and i'm listening to this and then when it was my turn to question i said wait a minute you said you called and and told someone that you know you were investigating him and you're the loan officer she says yes i said but you're not a loan officer and you weren't a loan officer she says no i said so then you lied to them i said well I, I'm not a liar. I said, but you said you, you told them something that wasn't true. That's a lie, right? And she's like, well, yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> I said, so you told a lie, and would you agree that people who tell lies are liars? And, <laughs> and she says, well, I needed, I needed something from them. I said, oh, so when you need something, then we know you can't be trusted because you're willing to lie. Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> and she got all twisted and tangled up and, and couldn't figure out how to get out of it. But, you know, the judge, this was a bench trial. There was no jurors. That's the judge. And he's up there grinning because he sees what has happened. But, yeah, she did the same thing, admitted that, you know, when she needed something, when she had the right motivation, she was willing to lie. And she did. Oh. Oh, and I mean, at that point, you're just like, we're done here? Pretty much. With that one, we were. With that witness. There was really nothing more she could say that anybody cared about. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, you know, and we're talking one another where you got a letter, but, uh, you know, how, what do you do when you feel someone's lying and you're trying to get that out of them? You know, it, it's it, it's like, oh, I can tell they're lying. Like you said, you like kind of sense it, but you, you want to corner them. How, how do you go about that? Sometimes you're not going to be able to get them. Usually you're not going to be able to get them to say, I'm lying. Yeah. Um, but when you know that what they're telling you is not true, I try and, and just have them push the lie as far as possible. You know, if they want to go that direction, then I'll go that direction with them until it makes, you know, it's, it's absolute nonsense. Because um, then you can bring in and use other witnesses to demonstrate why it's nonsense. So if, if they want to go that way, then fine, that's the way we'll go. And I'll let you just lay it all out there and, and you know, hopefully the jury can see, that, you know, this is craziness, what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, I, we asked about this, but, you know, I, I have a son. I don't know. Do you have kids? I, ha I do. I have four. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so the skill set must have come in handy raising yeah. these children. <laughs> yeah, we uh, I, I definitely uh, I get the uh, get the answers from them when I need them. But uh, but they all of them have grown up to be very good questioners in their own right. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's, you know, it definitely sets them up for success and to protect right. themselves. Um, and, you know, when you're going through this and, you know, and you're like, I'm just not going to get this out of them. How, how do at what point do you go? Okay. I just got to give up. <laughs> uh, it depends, but if you can get any, positive little nugget when you can tell it's not going the way you want it if you can get one positive little nugget from them end it on that note so it looks like you walked away a winner with that examination gotcha gotcha and i mean you know how many trials have you done over the years because we didn't really talk about that and and this is an interesting thing too because i know a lot of people assume that all lawyers go to trial and it's, it's the opposite isn't it it is. Uh, very few cases actually go to trial. Even fewer finish a trial. Um, you know, you, you can get to trial and be halfway through and a case will, will settle. Um, so to actually get to the very end where you get a verdict, it, it's very few. It's less than 2% of all cases that are filed actually go to trial. Wow. Uh, on, the, on the civil side, criminal side is different. Um, but yeah, it, it's not easy to get to trial. And it, it's becoming uh, even less frequent um, than it used to be. And I think that that's largely in part due to the cost of litigation. Um, it's just expensive to be involved in litigation. And so, you know, clients realize that they can cut something off sooner rather than later. They'll, they'll do that. Um, and then there is some tendency to be, to be a little nervous depending on what jurisdiction you're in, uh, like Cook County, mm -hmm. where I'm at where you can get some very um, 
you know, large kind of unreasonable verdicts from these juries. And so that motivates, um, you know, defendants to settle as well. Interesting. Interesting. And so you were telling me about one other case. It was a, is it an insurance defense case? Yes. Yes. Years ago, I represented a national banking chain and uh, they were sued by a woman who was using the drive up facility. And this was back in the days when you had the tubes that you would put into the vacuum, the little canister, you put it into the vacuum tube, it would suck it into the, to the building and then they would send it back. And uh, she claimed that after she put the canister in, that the door on the machine slammed shut and crushed her hand. So she filed a lawsuit against the bank, and I defended it. And uh, that case actually did go to trial, and all went all the way to verdict. And what I had discovered was she had actually hurt her hand in a completely unrelated occurrence. Mm. Um, and so I brought that out when she was on the stand and I had the medical records and I had some other materials and I got her to admit that yes, she had in fact hurt her hand. Um, you know, they were at the lake and she dove into the lake and somehow managed to crush her hand. And so the, the jury came back in, in favor of my client and with a, with a zero and we were all happy. Uh, and about a week or two later, I, I got a letter in the mail at the office and it was from her husband. And uh, he wrote me this letter and, and just kind of ranting about how I had made his wife look like a, like a liar on the stand. And, um, and he didn't appreciate that. And, you know, they weren't liars. They were good Christian people is what he said. We're good Christian people. And then he finishes off the letter with, you know, I hope someday something tragic happens to you and your family. So you can <laughs> understand uh, uh, the trauma that we went through. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was... Uh, so I, I called their lawyer and I told him and, and he took care of it, told him to knock it off. But uh, yeah, I was just glad the letter came to the office, not my home address. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's crazy. I mean, it, it, people just don't get when they're lying, do they? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I've been through some big cases, big dollars, bad injuries. And for the most part, uh, people keep it civil. Um, lawyers might get heated once in a while, but it's always kept civil. But every now and then you get the outlier where you're like, yeah, this person is just not right. Oh, uh, well, that's, I mean, if it's every now and then, I guess it's, you know, because we, in true law stories here, we've heard some crazy stories. So it's good to put, set it all in perspective that it's not all crazy stories. It's just that the crazy stories are pretty crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, and I really appreciate you coming on and telling these crazy lying stories, people getting caught in lies. Um, if so, tell me a little bit about if someone wants to work with you. Who, once again, you work with a lot with trade show companies. Um, tell me a little bit more, more about the firm and working with the firm. Yeah, so we're a, we're a general business firm. So we represent uh, entrepreneurs, small privately owned businesses, all the way up to you know Fortune 500 companies. Um, in their transactional, in their real estate, and, and I head up the litigation practice here. Gotcha. Um, we're, we're mainly Illinois, but uh, also cover you know other states in the Midwest. Uh, we've got lawyers who are licensed in Wisconsin. I'm licensed in Indiana and DC as well. Um, so while we're generally local, we, we do get around. Awesome, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, uh, telling us your stories. This has been a lot of fun, and, and thanks for sharing them. Yeah, I've appreciated it. Thank you for having me.
And thank you all for taking Adrian and I on your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn more.